Good afternoon and welcome to Acting Up. We are rocking out in the studio here for an hour of Resistance Radio, exploring the movements that made us, drawing from the activist archives through to the voices of Resistance today. And before we start the show, I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting from Stolen Lands, the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And I'd like to pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. This week, we are continuing our retrospective series on Acting Up, looking back at the incredible history of Friends of the Earth. Today, we're going to be talking about all things food. And this year, Friends of the Earth is celebrating our 45 years of resistance. So that's 45 years that we've been mobilising communities, resisting the oppressive forces from patriarchy to nuclear racism and transforming our future towards a more just world for all. So today we're going to be taking you through the politics of the time over our 45 years of campaigning, what we did and why it's still important. And today's show is going to be focusing on all things food, organics and pesticides. And Friends of the Earth has always been interested in the human rights connections around those issues, even back into the 70s and 80s, focusing on pollution from agriculture and impacts on the global global south, and looking at food and agriculture industries. Some of the early work was around people as well, sort of in the global south, and around gendered issues too. And we've remained in that space, even when it hasn't been so much of a hot topic, and worked with organic agriculture, trade unions, fair trade, and heaps more. And the food co-op and the campaigning around that is continuing to this day. So today we're going to be talking with people who've been involved with Foe's food co-op and campaigns over the years. The food co-op is still an active campaign, and it's a place where you can get an amazing, healthy, affordable organic lunch every day on Smith Street. It is the beating heart of Friends of the Earth in Melbourne. My name's Em, your host for today, and I'm joined in the studio by Beth, Esla and Leanne, and we're going to be talking about Foe's history of campaigning with food. How's it going? We're going well, <laughs> Em. <laughs> yeah, we, need it. we needed the Joan Jet rev up at yeah. the beginning, and now we're in the mood, we're in the co-op mood. Great, that was a great way to start us off. So, um, obviously none of you were around in the very early days of Friends of the Earth, but I'm wondering if any of you know about some of the origins of the food co-op back when it started in 1975. Well, I know a little bit because I did... Um, the Friends of the Earth has been in the inner city for a long time and um, I think the first time I ever found Friends of the Earth was in Smith Street, which is down the road from where we are now. And in there was a building that had a bookshop in the front and out the back was a dry goods shop as well, which was this tiny little place and it was a little bit bigger than this but it was the busiest place. It just kept growing and growing and growing because at the time it was the only cheap um, and it was a cooperative so you joined the co-op and um, also upstairs there was an upstairs that had other campaigns and it did have a food justice um, program didn't it then a campaign and um, the uranium was there and I think at the time maybe recycling and a few other general things were happening I'm sure other people would know more about what was upstairs because I didn't really go up there I just wanted the food <laughs> yeah. and uh, <laughs> Down the road about six shops was a really bigger shop and it was another cooperative and it was just on fruit and veggies. And um, in Melbourne there were only, um, at the time, there was one person in Elwood that was doing organic fruit and veggies and the cooperative. And I think Melbourne Uni was going then, wasn't it, or not? 
sure. Not sure. They didn't do veggies. There was a stall in the open market or something over there. But they were very rare to find. And I think for me on a personal level, that's why I got interested because I'd done a lot of reading in my life in that time and had a little child and wanted to have a better life you know, and eating organics and all of that. So I used to volunteer in that um, fruit and veggie shop, but I never volunteered in the dry goods. I wasn't really, <laughs> I don't know, it wasn't the place I liked to go in all the time too, but I used to send my partner at the time to do all that shopping and then I'd do fruit and veggies and volunteer down there. But um, So these places were all down there and then they grew bigger, too big, bigger than what they could deal with. So there was a big warehouse that came available and it was um, in Brunswick Street, 222. Brunswick Street was known as and um, it was a gigantic place. Yeah, it was and massive. It was massive. It was an old horse stables from the old wow. years, like from the 1800s and had an upstairs that where you could go one staircase to where all the offices were and a big open space, like a gigantic one, which a lot of events and things ran through there because it was a exciting building, you know, and there was lots going on. And we had there was the a gallery. And it turned into a gallery space where we had Spider the first... Spider played there, the first, oh, first Spider fundraiser Bay. that we had there. <laughs> While we were moving to the other building when we yeah. had to move out. Um, yeah. But we had the first... Um, Indigenous Artists from the Desert exhibition there, which mm-hmm. was the first one in um, Melbourne as well that I know of. And it was the Uendamu people in the Rambajini, and they actually came down in um, flu and then came there and were all part of it sitting wow. on the ground and the whole place got designed in all the native grasses and sand and mm. it was a pretty extremely beautiful night because the artwork and the people it was just one of the most awesome things that I think in that old building yeah. is a memory. Desert came to the city. Yeah, wow, it was yeah. just beautiful the children and everybody just they were looked after for days and yeah, it mm. was really great um, but yeah, so there was the co-op, the fruit and veggie one, which is an affiliated member of Friends of the Earth. They had their own space and you joined the membership. And then the very front of the building, when you came into this enormous opening, there was a bookshop and the food cop was out the back. Mm. And then we had that open space, which we over time did a lot of interacting and changing that into a big bazaar that was on every Saturday that um, other people in the community ran that as well. So... And so now, you know, obviously now it's like the fruit and veg and the dry goods is all combined. When you moved into 222, was that all combined there as well? Or it was no, they were all separate, yeah, very okay. separate, because that co-op was its own cooperative. So mm. you joined both, both things. But understanding, too, is that when we were our own cooperative to the dry goods, it, you had a different membership, but then we changed that all around at Friends Earth and became one big um, membership. So then you just joined Friends Earth, but you could still have your discount from the food cup. So we yeah. became, before the buzzwords of social enterprise 10 or 12 years, ago, 12 years ago, I suppose that's what we converted to. But we will affectionately always call it the co-op. There's just... There's just no way around changing that yeah. name as a pet name, really, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, kind of stuck. And Leanne, was that a similar time that you were getting involved with the food co-op? Yeah, so Beth would have been the coordinator for about a year or something and then yeah a couple of years um but I was a volunteer Mm -hmm. um so I I would have been about 18 or something when I first found the co-op so I came in from the burbs to live in Fitzroy and stumbled across 222 (laughs) (laughs) and um 
yeah, started volunteering there and then uh, ended up working at Melbourne Uni Co-op for a while as well as the coordinator mm. there and then and then came across and started coordinating with Beth and that was super fun. Yeah, we had <laughs> lots of fun. Yeah, yeah it was great. Um, so, yeah, I was working there um, and then we had to move because the rent went up mm. extraordinarily. The whole area in a year. was insane, wasn't it? Because, mm. like... Before that, these were this was a street that was coming out of a well, the country was coming out of the recession, but Brunswick Street was boarded up every third or fourth shop in the, even five years before that. And that's why when we moved there, everything started changing a bit. There was a movement of then mm. people were actually renting shops, and there was all these sort of really um, lots of social um, kind of issues, sort of shop fronts, you know, whether it was on housing or women's health and all these or sort of things. That was what the whatever. Yeah, yeah it was case. quite interesting times then, I think. And um, But most of the shops were boarded up anyway because nobody could afford to rent them. So yeah. that was what Brunswick Street was, which was made it so great. And so the op shops in those days were bloody amazing, I have to say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that was all that was in the street, you know, yeah, or wow. the record shop or, you mm. know, Middle Eastern Bakery. And then we came into... Um, you know, Brunswick Street, and then, like, it was like, pow. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, then we were only there five years because then all of a sudden there was this big thing, everything, the recession had changed, everything, there was money again, rents just skyrocketed, and we just went, we have to go. So mm. when we all tried to find a building for all of us at the time, it was pretty impossible, really, to find something to fit everybody in. Mm. So we went to Smith Street, which is hard to believe, just over in that short time, that short geographics, of distance, it just all went. It was such a different street. It was a wild street. Yeah, because I lived in in between Smith Street and Brunswick Street, but just hardly ever went to Smith Street. Mm. Like because I was work, you know, like working on Brunswick Street, but it was like Smith Street was like miles away. Yeah. <laughs> and its reputation was whoa, like it didn't have the best rep in town. That's yeah, for sure. It was wild and woolly, you know. Yeah. So but when we moved, it was really cheap to move to yeah. Smith Street, and Brunswick Street was just beginning its gentrification and Mariana Hardwick, the wedding dresses place, took, took over, place. which yeah. was disappointing at the time. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. We were like, oh, girl, we're not even into marriage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so when we went to Smith Street, the little um, fruit and veggie co-op couldn't fit into the same building because we couldn't find such a big building. And so they actually um, took a building a few That's doors away, yeah. not very far away. Mm. I think, is that the mm. one you can see? It's got like a still a logo on the roof on Smith That's Street? That's the original one before we moved to ah, Brunswick okay. Street. They yeah. moved up. That was their old building it's that you see. probably yeah. the, the up shop or something. Yeah. yeah. Up, up from Faux. Yeah, so there was like now two two separate mm. um, food places that you had to go to grab your veggies there and you dry down there. And the food court was at the back and the bookshop was at the front and mm. that was... The thing is too with them, they couldn't survive because at the time there was just so much going on that and not enough business in the area. Mm. Just to move from there to there just caused Changed this whole up, dip yeah. in um, just... Yeah. You know, money. And they tried really hard to make it a people powered base and kept it going as a cooperative, but eventually had to close. Mm. So, yeah, that was a kind of sad thing because they'd actually been around as a cooperative, I think, maybe a 
put such a long time, mm-hmm. like it was an incredible amount of years yeah. that they'd been going. Yeah. And also providing that um, information about um, organics and that with the environment being so important at the time as well. Mm. They were really ahead of their time. And yeah. I think that's the thing with <laughs> the food co-op is a very... Um, has been progressive yeah. and and still is, but it's um, it was doing it along all these things a long time ago. So reinventing the wheel continually. <laughs> what would be called? Would they have a different name or anything? With the other one, yeah. It was called the Fruit and Veggie Cooperative, I think. Oh, yeah. The, okay. yeah, hmm. but it was an affiliated member. But they did their own thing. They had their own AGMs. They had their own everything. Yeah. Was different. So they closed yeah. down at some point in the. Mid nineties or something, something. early, yeah. early to mid. They didn't, yeah, they didn't last that long on on Smith Street. So then we started doing veggies after that on yep. a smaller scale, though. That's yep. for sure. Yep. And then when the bookshop closed down, we mm. took over that too. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a lot of movement and changes. We mm. might just go to a quick CSA and then we'll come back and get more into maybe the talking about some of the campaigns and that sort of thing that's happened over the years. Hmm. Right. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japurung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japurung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The campaign to protect country is led by Japarang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarang country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. For 45 years, Friends of the Earth has been mobilising communities to resist the destructive industries like coal, gas, nuclear, and to transform our world into somewhere better. Come celebrate with us as we celebrate 45 years of creative resistance. 25th of October at the Gasometer, doors open at 8pm with a welcome to country at 9pm. The lineup includes Alicia Joy, Hello Tut Tut, Mortisville, Claddy and more. You know it'll be fun because it's Friends of the Earth. See you there. You can get tickets online or at our famous food co-op at 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. Friends of the Earth are a proud supporter of 3CR. This is 3CR, you're listening to Acting Up, and we're doing a retrospective on Friends of the Earth, our 45th year birthday this year, and we are chatting with some people who have been involved with the food co-op and the food campaigns over the years as part of Friends of the Earth. I've got Leanne, Esla, and Beth in the studio. And I was wanting to, yeah, just ask about some of, obviously, you know, the food co-op provides a place for people to be able to buy organic food, healthy foods, and, you know, that alternative to the supermarkets. But there's also the campaign side of it that sometimes doesn't get seen so much when people are just interacting with sort of the co-op on Smith Street. So, yeah, I was just curious about some of the history of the campaigning that you've done over the years. I suppose there's been a constant of it being a living campaign where it is about a waste-wise situation where 
encouraging people to bring their own bags. The way we've bought things is always a campaign. Like it's been mm. a continual campaign since that I can remember. And so our choosing of food when it comes to packaging was very significant. But Leanne's going to tell us about um, one of the ones we decided when we didn't want packaging anymore and we wanted glass returnable bottles with mm. our soy milk. And um, so you take just, it over. <laughs> yeah, we were just adamant that we, because everyone was getting into soy, soy, soy milk. But just we really hated the Tetra Packs and we were on to the companies and please change and, you know, whatever. And um, they kind of couldn't, didn't want to. And um, eventually we did a big action where we asked all of the co-op members to bring in their empty soy containers and we took it. Well, was on to the company. <laughs> the company, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, just dump them, dump them at their doorstep. So many of them. Um, and so that was, yeah, that was, it was that was kind of like a, a yeah, a stylish campaign, I think. And um, <laughs> we also uh, finally managed to get well, certainly. Well, my household started making soy milk at home and putting it in bottles and um, we ha- uh, one of my housemates went to China and bought back a <laughs> um, grinder on his back and, and set, set up a um, – we, we uh, went driving one night. I had a combi. We went driving one night and um, pulled the door door aside and um, we grabbed a, a big stainless steel beer container and <laughs> beer keg from somewhere in the city, went home and um, angle grinded it off so that we had this massive pot and um, he used to make us get up at five in the morning, like it was like, right, everyone up. And um, we'd have to we'd have to make soy milk and waggle, <laughs> um, and we'd have to make soy milk and take it and bottle it and then take it down to foe. But we we couldn't um, do that forever because because of, uh, of just health regs and hygiene <laughs> and all the rest of it. So we eventually got an, um, one of the the tofu. Um, Companies, yeah, blue, design, lotus, blue Lotus, returnable um, bottles. Started making it in returnable bottles. But, yeah, it was like this um, ongoing thing that was happening in the early 90s. No Tetra Pak. Yeah, because <laughs> all the Tetra Pak, then we'd be trying to find ways to utilise. I think many years later, somebody started making very groovy wallets at the, um, yeah. out of the soy milk. I don't know if anyone's still got one yeah. of those lying around in well, their house. Right. <laughs> and we, we would keep them for people for insulation. Yeah, for, someone for want to insulate home, their house. And yeah, anyway, trying to come up with as many ways as we yeah. possibly could to use the tech. And it's again that same purpose is what we're about. It's about everything that you're choosing to buy and what does that mean and where was that made and where are the ramifications of that. So I suppose it's a constant constant thing about that all the time with the campaigning of um, waste wise is mm. the new buzzword again. But um, yeah, I suppose that, you know, our reduction is what we kind of always is our philosophy that we we live by there. So and that's forever. And yeah. there's also like the anti-capitalism analysis as well, and and trying to work with you know small small companies yeah. or or individuals or artisan, mm-hmm. you know makers or whatever, um, and trying not not to be uh, yeah involved in kind of in, industrialized food production in any sense so yeah making all those tiny connections like the little soap making olive oil so yeah so i found a great photo of her this greek um 
Older woman who just made this beautiful old, um, like beautiful um, olive oil soap traditional and it had been passed down for many, many generations, this recipe. And it was like looking at a big chunk of parmesan cheese. Wow. But she would come in every week, you know, with a trolley and it was just beautiful. The, the connections like that, which are the most important mm. parts. I mean, it's about food and it's about being waste-wise, but that connection of people power and that connection to the amount of people we are connected to and have that evolved back to that place is incredible, really. Mm. Mm. And we'd have complex decisions to make about... Um, you know, will we have backyard or uh, veggies for sale, or do we need certification, mm. and all those sort of issues and stuff like that? And it and it would uh, be complex because it is complex, I suppose. But yeah, we yeah. Uh, to be simple is complex with everything yeah. to do with that, with buying and that because of buying having to choose what you're going to buy, and it's like I mean, all the food in there is all about it being an ancient sort of. Um, crops and stuff whether it's from millet to you know all the lentils and that like where things and how things are grown and incorporating waste into that was where the cafe came into it as well because Mm. we went there when we had to make a decision about well we can't waste food can we like I mean this is not good like Mm. we've got to be much more proud about that and like particularly the energy that people take to grow stuff for people so that's when the cafe Mm. kind of became a thing that grew and grew within the place as well and so when did the cafe get started well god I was trying to work that out it's been going for probably I'd say about like if we moved to Smith Street in in ninety two. I'd say it was like probably ninety five, ninety four. Like yeah. a couple of years later maybe. Yeah. yeah. And it was only small. It was just a fry pan with tempeh burgers. <laughs> mm. I mean <laughs> and then it got a bit bigger and then the gas stove we'd have to go and fill the gas bottle up and then everything changed. We got a little bit more space up the front, we could edge through a little bit more and things mm. like that, you know. But well, one thing I was gonna mention is with food, it's such a um emotional mm and important part of, you know, everyone's identity and and whatever. So just even um, making choices about what's in the co-op, the the customers have a lot of say in (laughs) what it means to them. And and, um, so there was a lot of negotiation with the members as well. All All the time they probably, you know, they must be still... Um, about whether the products were right or wrong or this or Mm. that or, you know, like, yeah. And the feedback is important because that's who people are needing to express all that. (laughs) But also we need to know too what people think. But like, you know, there's been so much change too in even the last um, 10 years with people with food allergies Mm. and your need for this and that and whatever. But, you know, like with some of the products, I mean, we're raw raw product is what we have. I mean, you know, some of the things that I think that we're really proud to support are like Leanne's saying some of the local growers and you know less mileage and that's like you know people making apple cider vinegar down the mock apple people that grow you know like 15 varieties of apples and the only people that actually grow proper make proper um, apple cider vinegar where they have the mother and they ferment it and it's properly done like supporting that industry supporting like the salt the pink sea salt for the indigenous people Mm. who 
their name is the Barangay Ganjin Land Council and they hand harvest that wow. salt and it's up near Dimbula. We buy that and support that because that has a story to it and, um, and a big story in the fact because it's been going since the 1860s at salt farming and they just scoop like with a actual shovel the top layer of that um, salt in March just before the rains hit and it's boiling hot. It's one of the most hardest jobs and they can only do it at one time of the year because of the the beautiful pink crustacean that's part of it because then that fades after a while. But it's all that connecting to that and Mount Zero people and the olive oils and mm. why do we buy from them? Why are we connected to that? And that's the sort of stuff that is so interconnected. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that's a good time because we are going to give um, Peter a call who's from the Biodynamics Marketing Company. And, you know, that's kind of, Fo's had a long history of sort of supporting biodynamics and organics and having good relationships with those kind of industries. So we might just go to a song and then we can get Peter on the phone to have a quick chat about the biodynamics industry. So we've got the swimming song here. Yeah. So you did suggest we bring in some music. So the band who knew too much friends of beth's and we knew them very well went and saw them often they did many benefits for us yes, and um <laughs> uh, particularly reminiscent of you know that 90s melbourne vibe yeah. great in the summer i went swimming in the summer i might have drowned but I held my breath and I kicked my feet and I moved my arms around. I moved my arms around. In the summer I swam in the ocean and swam in a swimming pool. The salt my wounds, chlorine my eyes, I'm a self-destructive fool, I'm a self-destructive fool. In the summer I went swimming, in the summer I might have drowned, but I held my breath, I kicked my feet and I moved my arms around, I moved my arms around.
summer I swam in a public place and a reservoir to boot. At the latter I was informal, at the former I wore my suits. I wore my swimming suit. Yes, I did. In the summer I went swimming, in the summer I might have drowned. But I held my breath, I kicked my feet and I moved my arms around. I moved my arms around. Listening to Acting Up, celebrating Friends of the Earth's 45th birthday with our 45 Years of Creative Resistance show. This is Em, and today we are discussing the history of food campaigning with Friends of the Earth. And right now we've got Peter Podolinski on the line from the Biodynamic Marketing Company. And we're just going to have a quick chat to Peter about Biodynamics. How are you going today, Peter? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for calling in. So for those listeners out there who might not know, could you just give us a bit of a quick rundown of what biodynamic is? Essentially, it's, it's a part of the organic farming method, but with biodynamics, they concentrate much more on developing the soil, which is what the, the plant ultimately feeds from. Mm, it's very important, the soil. And when did biodynamics actually start? Uh, in a, well, it was developed by... Rudolf Steiner, who's, who's well known for education, um, was developed by him in the, in the 1920s. Mm. But it first came to Australia in, in the 1950s, so um, and was practiced probably 55, 1955 at, at farm level. Great. And what, what's the industry for biodynamics like in Australia? Oh, it's always an interesting industry, but um, we produce a, a, a vast range of different types of products, whether they're grain or dairy or vegetables or all sorts of things. Yeah, so we, we do a fair variety of products biodynamically. Mm. And you're with the Biodynamic Marketing Company, so what's the role of your organisation in the biodynamics industry? Uh, we're there to assist assist our farmers to to market their produce for what it is. I actually see the, the marketing side of it as as the third decision that has to be made in the chain. First, the, the person has to want to, to farm that way and then they have to be able to do it and then they've got a product that they need to, to market for, for what, they've, what they've made it to be. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, obviously Friends of the Earth were an environment organisation and, you know, worried about things like um, 
the impacts of climate change and the climate crisis. So how does biodynamics kind of interact with things like drought and um, drought resistance and that sort of thing? Well, I mean, we have the same problems that, that conventional farmers have, but uh, the difference with ours is that our soil has a lot of what we call humus in it and it has the ability to retain moisture. Um, so we, our plants are a little bit more versatile than, than a lot of others are in their ability to in the ability of the soil to hold moisture. So it, um, the plants, whilst they do suffer, they probably don't suffer as much. Mm, great, yeah. Well, it's good that there's, um, you know, that industry out there and obviously at Friends of the Earth we're wanting to support that and through the food co-op selling biodynamics where we can. Thanks so much for joining it's, it's us been great. I mean, we've, today. We've served them for a long, long time. I was thinking today when, when we first started where they actually were, they certainly were that weren't where they are now, but they've done a fantastic job. Uh, again, it, I see it as a three-way thing. You've got to have a farmer, you've got to have a, a person in the middle, and you've got to have a, a retailer that then passes the product on to the consumer. And uh, Friends of Earth, along with many others, have done a fantastic job over, over many years. Yeah, and hi, Pete. It's Bethy. Yeah, <laughs> I've been, good, thank you. I've been working at the Food Cop for 30 years now, and um, you're our first person that we call as our ordering every week. I've been ringing up um, Biodynamic Marketing, and, um, yeah, it's so great to have people that care about the environment and care about how you grow food. It's it's so amazing to what you've done and how you've grown into what you are and... Yeah, it's really we really appreciate that collaboration with you. Yeah. I mean, I think we've we've actually got the the easy part now. The growers have the the difficult part, mm. um, and to, to comply now with certification is becoming more and more compliable. Um, yeah. And the farmers out there that are working the long hours, as do you and as do we, but uh, they they're the ones that they're at the front of it, and they're the ones that create what what we all are able to enjoy. Yeah, it's amazing. Thank you so much. Okay. Great. Okay. Thanks, Beth. All Bye. the best. Yeah, Thank you too. Bye. Bye-bye. So that was Peter from Biodynamics Marketing Company, and they've had a long-standing relationship with the Friends of the Earth Food Co-op. I've got in the studio with me Leanne, Beth and Esla, and we've been talking about all things food at Friends of the Earth, and we've kind of been talking mostly about the 90s. We are just saying off-air there's so much to cover, really, when we're talking about the food co-op. Um, but I wanted to ask you, Asala, you haven't been involved as long as Leanne and Beth, but no, if you no. wanted to talk about your experiences, you know, coming to the food co-op. Um, yeah, you know, I kind of moved to Melbourne in like 2003, um, and I'd heard about the food co-op from, um, I went to high school in Tasmania, so I did like lots of like forest stuff there, and people would just be like, oh, this is amazing co-op with like this activist space, and they do everything, it's in the inner city. And just, you know, moving from the country, it was, like, like really lovely to have, like, compost and, like, nourishing food and, like, community. And it's such a hub for, like, like being a musician, like, for music and art and community and share house notices, you know. It's, like, a pretty much, like, a first point of call for, like, a lot of people who move to kind of, like, trying to navigate Melbourne, you know? Mm. And then you find out there's this whole other side and there's, like, people running upstairs doing stuff. And, and it's it's very easy to get involved with, like, campaigns and volunteering in the food co-op. And sometimes I think big cities, it's like... Um, it can be kind of um, 
inaccessible, for, you know, for like new people. Yeah, so it was, that was, I think I volunteered for a few years on and off, and then I started cooking there maybe in like the late 2000, maybe 2008 or nine, and then... Yeah. Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> you know? yeah. 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 Yeah, it's great. I think, um, you know, we're talking about how food, you know, it has such a special connection to people. But, you know, another big part of Friends of the Earth and the Food Co-op, obviously, is kind of, yeah, creating that physical space in terms of volunteers. And I'm yeah. sure that all of you have seen lots of people coming through the space over the years. Yeah. I mean, it can't be without the community outreach as well and the volunteers I mean there's just been thousands from all over the world mm. <laughs> it is a place to come to where you know we share skills we hope to empower people um, as we're doing that and um, you know it's for people to take away something with them each time which I'm sure there is many stories and memories for people um, I think also some of the other programs that we have through there that we've done over the years too that we do like we did have the mail jail program, which was a successful one for the time we spent doing that. And we think we were the fir one of the first places in um, Melbourne to do that when we first um, became, had a relationship with um, the people from the jails. So that worked quite well where they would come and work um, out of jail in a transitional way and do work there for every day of the week, I think it was, and so that they could improve their skills. And we were a very nurturing place to come to, and with that we all shared so much um, experience um, from the correctional people and from our own selves, that sort of dynamic of sharing and um, yeah, breaking down barriers is pretty important in our society, and um, respect is a big thing too in that space as well, which is why people feel comfortable coming there. Um, but the volunteer thing is awesome. I mean, it's quite incredible when you think how many people and from all walks of life. But a lot of engagement we've had too with other groups, whether it's community centres, health centres, like we run the City of Yarra program for people that have trouble organising, feeding themselves so they can come and use a card every day to buy food and we have that relationship with the City of Yarra Health. So we have quite a few different programs and I can't think of all the other things that we've collaborated with whether we got a grant once um, Leanne and I put on a big gig for um, down at Dites Community Centre where all the people from all the community housing came and um, so many people, there are hundreds of people there and we just talked about lots of introduction into you know compost and Chinese medicine and all these sort of crazy things but we got everyone on the ground doing yoga moves, we had a yoga <laughs> teacher so that was a really buzzy one, I really enjoyed that one. So we've also just been a <laughs> colourful force at many um, festivals. Yes, um, festivals and, what we And, you know, just, just community festivals or whatever, like the, remember the one oh, in... North in Melbourne. North Melbourne um, in Errol Street. We used to always go there, rock up in my red HQ ute with everyone in feathers <laughs> and yeah. velvet and glitter or whatever, a bit like um, Priscilla. <laughs> no, it was where really Priscilla meets the... <laughs> we'd get a spot outside the pub as well with that. And yeah. um, we'd, I think we just wanted to win the prize, we even did. though we did want to show all this beautiful <laughs> vegetarian food because that yeah. was part of it. But, but you'd, we were so excited we'd win it every we year, really the prize, the best dressed <laughs> store. Like, <laughs> but, you know, you could go... You could run a store differently, couldn't you, too? because we'd have, like, 
you didn't have food trucks, that's for sure. And yeah. you could take the food in as long as you had a good thing out the front covering the food. Mm. You could still serve food that way. And now there are so many strict bylaws and trilaws just to yeah, go on the yeah. street where it should be, you know, spaces yeah. for people and... But yeah, we that. did so much fundraising for um, not just for the food court, but for Friends the of the Earth in, in general. And we would team up with a lot of the time with the Anti Uranium Collective and with Lee Tan from the office. <laughs> <laughs> I love, you know, like, um, yeah, all these people would just come out and um, we'd have, you know, just masses of watermelon at the big day out or whatever. Yeah. We'd just have weird things that we'd have to go and do. Or confessed. Oh, yeah. dear. <laughs> yeah, that, that was... I never was confessed. I did big day out <clears> and, <throat> you know, chai. things like never, that. I never want to taste chai again. <laughs> After compost <laughs> or veggie burgers for that matter. But yeah, lots and lots of fundraising. Um, and I think that's an important part of the mm, co-op too, yeah. to see it as an, an uh, um, Generates. A, a, yeah, of income for the organisation oh, yes. too. Yeah, as well as that whole um, promotion and marketing of the organisation because we actually have, over the years have gone out and done lots mm. of that. Yeah, and yes. I think for a lot of people, you know, the food co-op is the first and sometimes only way that they find out or know about Friends of the Earth. Mm. So it really, you know, it's a big responsibility in terms of just, you know, mm. having that kind of front-facing, showing mm. people what the organisation's all about. Yeah, I think a lot of the um, people involved with the campaigns over the years, they've always come there first, like so many mm. people, and then they move into whatever campaign they want. But that can be a really nurturing place to come to, to find out what Friends of the Earth is, and then you can step in to different mm. areas. And I think Ursula's right. Like, as someone coming to Melbourne, if yeah. you don't have a, a lot of friends or family or community around you, it, it is actually a really nice place to come in and, and suddenly, you know, you, you've got lots of options for yeah. meeting people and going out or doing stuff or whatever, something to do, you know, like, yeah. yeah it's, it's like it's a really good, good cross-section of the community as well. It's like... Just mm. then everyone comes over food, you know, it's like activists, like office workers, people in retail. Yeah, you know, it's like yeah, it's, it's very diverse. Yeah. I mean, and the space itself has been opened up to having so many different things in there from talks, you know, like we had, you know, Bob Brown doing a book, shop, a book launch one mm. year and just many, many different things and all people mm. from all different places. The Japanese cooking Oh, that was, a be- that was beautiful because it was a millet class and it was a Japanese person who had come. I think that might have been, I don't know what year that was, might have been the 2000s actually, and they wanted to have a place where they could cook millet and show everybody. So all the Japanese community came and we had to set up the whole shop with them cooking and their family, Mm. showing this amazing grain, which as I say is one of the most ancient grains and the most underrated grain food (laughs) that you could eat, you know, and it's beautiful. It's a drought resistant one. It's a really great one that could grow in this country where there's been a lot of devastation from um, growing the wrong things or having the wrong mm. animals I know, <laughs> with the topsoil and stuff. But and there's lots of health benefits. Yeah. And the health benefits. But that was a really amazing. So there's been a lot of that, you know, and then also Perry Street Festivals, which was about, you know, going into the community onto the street and using open spaces that aren't utilised by people and bringing people together through music and art and fashion. And all of that collaboration is all part of the extension of a lot of the fundraising we've mm. done as well, mm. which is... All 
always an ongoing thing and creating and community yeah it's creating yeah. it's always yeah. creating community and mm. that sort of inroads and back it's all about everybody connecting in that way mm. yeah, yeah people not living in their tiny little apartments and not knowing who's next door well you know so creates community mm. on smith street and does all of those things where people come out meet you know yeah it's really important and also the balls yeah. Oh my God! Talk the about balls. The balls. The balls. <laughs> well, we do want to actually later in the series have a whole show dedicated to bands and gigs. Wow! Of both. So yeah. we've got plenty of time to go do a deep dive into the balls later on. But obviously, mm. you know that's you know Beth, you've been a force in terms of organising some amazing events over the years for Fo. Mm. Yeah, there's been a lot of people involved. It has been um, a collaboration, of, you know, and it's an ongoing um, work in progress, isn't it, really? Yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah, well, I might take a moment now just to go to a quick CSA and then maybe when we come back we can just chat, chat about where the food co-op's at now and mm. some of the, you know, where we're going. You're in 3CR. I just think that it's ironic that the state of Victoria want to treaty with Aboriginal people but have no issue in destroying our sacred sites. War is devastating on the environment. In peacetime, the military is a huge user of fossil fuels, a huge driver of nuclear energy and ultimately the architect of nuclear weapons. Subscribe to 3CR in 2019, fighting for social justice and environmental change. And to all the people that are so afraid of the solutions to climate change that they choose to live in denial instead, the current solutions to the climate emergency are much easier to cope with than the outcomes that will come if we don't. Feed Radical Radio. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Follow, follow the sun. Which way the wind blows. This is 3CR. My name's Em and I'm here presenting Acting Up this week where we're celebrating Friends of the Earth and talking about the food co-op's long history as part of Friends of the Earth. And I'm joined with Beth, Asla and Leanne in the studio today. We're coming towards the end of the show. We're almost at 10 to 4. And I thought we'd talk about sort of where we're at right now in terms of the food co-op. And oh, we've, we've got another guest at the door. Um, so the food co-op has been a part of the community for a long time and in a lot of ways it's been really progressive even from the start in terms of you know some of the stuff you're talking about waste you know people aren't even caught up to that right now and there's so many bulk food stores that are just opening right now you know what how do you see friends of the earth in today's market well, I suppose what is interesting about it is I've always wanted the world to be thinking like this, and I think that's what we've all campaigned towards, people taking, realising they can change and, you know, minimize, waste minimisation, compost, which we've been doing for 30 years, that it just seems normal to me, like mm, that absolutely. we are doing those sort of things. And, yes, people are doing that, but we've got to remember, too, we're different because we are a social enterprise, we, nobody owns a place, so it's actually a place where people are involved with it in so many dynamic ways. And we're part of an environmental organisation and mm. a bigger environmental organisation that is, has all 94 in the world. So we interconnect in that way. So I suppose what puts us aside is that we will always believe it. We do believe it. It's not about people making it for profit, which is what is interesting is that we do need to make money as a non-profit group 
for all the reasons we do, but we also have to remember the things that we're there for are more important at the end of the day, and those things is, are those things that we're into, and that is, you know, like less chemicals in the food, and it's about composting, and it's about staying with that waste-wise belief. At the moment, you'll see the shop is going to grow and be different, and it's all, you know, being because we've got a grant to help um, change some of the things. We've got a really good team. We've still got lovely food going. We're going to have more cooking classes and all of the rest of it. So there's, it's, still it's still always happening, and and we're proud of it, and we want to make it even better all the time. Yeah. yeah. Doing a great job. And we've just been joined in the studio by Alex. Hi. Hi, everyone. How are you going? <laughs> and so you've been a volunteer in the past at um, the Food Co-op? Yeah, I was volunteering with Lisa and Beth in the, and Leanne uh, in the late 80s and early 90s, so Brunswick Street. Yeah. Great. Yeah, and it was great. Yeah, what was your experience at that time? Um, well, I had a car, so mm-hmm. I was unusual in having a car. I had a little old yeah. Peugeot 504, <laughs> little orange beast. <laughs> and Lisa used to ring me every week and say, go and pick up the flour. So I'd drive to West Melbourne to the mills and pick up the bulk flour and bring it, bring it back and help everyone unload it. So that was pretty much my main task. And then I just used to hang around... I was working at the Cubbies at the Fitzroy Adventure Playground at the time, so I'd bring the kids down, um, you know, grab some food and uh, check out any exhibitions that were on or people right. around, so that was really good. Yeah. yeah. And do you still do you still come to the food co-op? Yeah, I was just eating there today. Right. <laughs> so I had lunch there today. Yeah, awesome. It's really great how, you know, we've just been talking about the community of Friends of the Earth and, you know, I think volunteers can come and go, but it's so amazing that there still is that space in the food co-op in terms of people, you know, maybe not having the time for volunteering anymore or doing other things but still being able to come and have a meal. I think that's really special. Mm. Yeah, it was a very welcoming place and... Um, I think people, you know, knew they could contribute what they could. And it was certainly really good for the kids who were growing up in the flats in the high rise, um, had their own food cultures from their own cultures and countries of origin, and then always felt welcome, yeah, in the mm. co-op. So that was really good. Yeah, that's great. And Asala, how have you seen the co-op change in terms of, like, since you started there? Um, well, like like a lot, actually, even, like, mm. hearing these stories that uh, Beth and... Um, um, Leanne have been saying um, um, so when I started there was just like a um, just like a four burner stove like it was like kind of like a share house kind of cafe home style kind yeah. of uh, vibe and then it's like you know kind of gotten prof- like a professional kitchen you know and it's like and the cafe has become like a like a like a restaurant that competes with all these super professional restaurants and um it's amazing to see that you know and i feel like it's also like how niche and um like like organics and things were like such a subculture and it's it's so mainstream like you know zero waste and um package package free it's like the environment's become mainstream in a in a undeniable way which is really amazing to be a part of yeah vegetarianism isn't a dirty word anymore yeah you know it's a word it's really really a growing industry and it has been for the last five years it went boom 
Mm. And it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting, you know, especially talking with the anti-nukes and people like that and, you know, just the political climate for when some of those campaigns were starting and, you know, how people, you know, that think dumping nuclear waste in the sea, that was just the norm back then. Now people go, oh, my God, can't mm. believe we ever did that. It's kind of, you know, similar in this space. It sounds like you're saying, you know, vegetarianism is just part of kind of the culture at the moment. Mm. It hasn't always been that way. Mm, that's right. Mm. And so what's next for Friends of the Earth Food Co-op? Well, I think that we are just going to keep um, doing what we're doing and um, perhaps with all the changes, as I was saying, that we are going to do, that we are in the transition of doing, and it will make it easier for people to shop. And we're hoping that people will realise that coming back to somewhere like that or being when you're shopping there, you're supporting the bigger organisation, an environmental organisation. I can't help but, you know, keep going, well, that's what you're doing. That is what you're, that gives you choice over your money because it's about that um, economic justice, really, at the end of the day, isn't it? And about where you put your money. And um, I think in the long run, that all just becomes this circular economy within Friends of the Earth anyway. And that's what it is. We're a classic um, undefined circular economy economically. <laughs> You know, yeah. <laughs> it's um, yeah, it's better to support forest activists rather than big gambling corporations through your supermarket buys. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Yeah. And all those differences that put us aside, you know, and, you know, just being part of having to come in and write down your product code is fairly interesting, you know, than anywhere <laughs> else. And, um, yeah. and we'll keep on doing what we're doing. And um, it's, there's a lot to do. And it's a hard, it, it's a lot of hard work, and that's what we have to realise too. It happens due to work. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think taking up Alex's point of um, the one thing that she was asked to do was, you know, go and pick up this um, flower from West Melbourne or whatever. So that it was thing, all I could have done. So, yeah. yeah they, they sort of realised. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really important that that the co-op does that of just asking people to do what they can manage to do, but actually asks them. Because of you, you know, they might not offer. They might not know that they can get involved. And but you, you spend your time, you know, working yeah. out what people can do and asking them to do it. And then that's where the involvement really mm-hmm. helps people to become community. Yeah, yeah. Mm. it's so that's important. Very yeah. Well, that's about all we've got time for today. It feels like we could really talk for hours <laughs> about this topic. <laughs> and thanks so much, everyone, for coming in today. We've got Alex, Asla, Leanne and Beth have joined me in the studio. Thanks so much for your time, everyone coming in. And thanks, Sam. Thank you. you. It was great fun. Head out with uh, a song that you play at the end of your shift, I hear, Asla. Yeah, well, years ago, Michaela just actually mentioned how much we used to play this song at the end of the shift. Wow. I think it's so appropriate. Tune in next week. We're going to have a show talking about Friends of the Earth Brisbane and some of the structure of Friends of the Earth in the local groups of Friends of the Earth Australia. And as always, if you have been involved in a campaign at Friends of the Earth over the years, get in contact with us if you want to be involved with this radio show via our Facebook page or you can give us a call at Foe. Coming up next, we've got Jan's Tuesday Home Time and we're going out on Purple Rain.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.